a warm welcome. And uh, Riverside Church is about two things. Uh, number one is about finding God. And the second thing is about following Jesus. Our mission is finding God. We want you to experience God in all his fullness, you know. And those of us who've had that moment of it, it's just mind-blowing, you know, regenerates your spirit, your sins are forgiven, uh, everything that you're struggling with, we're set free from. When we have a brand new future, when we experience God, it is life-changing. In fact, it changed our eternal destiny. And that's what we want to help you understand if you're first time in, if you're new to the concept of the Christian faith. But if you've been in faith, our second part of our vision is all about following Jesus. And we want you to understand what it means when Jesus said, follow me, you know. And Jesus was very intentional about laying out what it is to follow Jesus. And there is a challenge to following Jesus. And we've been walking through a series of of how to understand what it is and what does that mean for following Jesus. And so the way that we try and do this, all our speakers uh, in the series that we've run up are trying to essentially create a conversation with you, with us, the church, the family of God. And that conversation isn't just about a Sunday morning where we get 30 minutes to hear somebody talk on a subject and you go, well, that lovely dear, that's not our point. Our our point is to give you something to go away to when you have lunch today to talk about the message. When you have coffee with a friend or a work colleague to take the principles of God and say, how does that relate to our life? And so what we're always trying to do as a speaker is create a conversation. Because Jesus was incredible at creating conversations. You know, he talked the message through, you know, and if you look through it and you get into the concept of what Jesus did, he, I just want two points. One, how to create life-breathing conversations, and two, how to bring life-building communities and how they connect together. And so that's where I'm going to help us to understand. And you can read in the concept of the Bible that Jesus had in, in the New Testament where there's four accounts of Jesus' life. There's 40 conversations recorded Uh, and I kind of love it because if you break them down as to those conversations what were they about who were they with where were they it's really fascinating what you 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 discover how Jesus did the conversation so nine of those conversations that Jesus had he initiated so nine of the 14 if you're into maths you can work out the percentage straight away so there's something about Jesus that Jesus says I want to talk to you I want to have this conversation. I'll give an example of that. The Samaritan woman was one of those. Uh, the crippled beggar was one of those. You know, interestingly, that they were both considered on the, on the outskirts of the community and the society in the way that was formed at the day. I love this about Jesus because actually Jesus goes onto the fringes. And has the conversation. He initiates the conversation. The woman at the well, which is where he finds himself in that place. And suddenly before you know it, in the marketplace, in the center of the community, he sits by the well. And says this, paraphrased. Doesn't matter how many cups of tea you drink in life, you'll still want another one. But if you find out that I am the tea of life. You understand the purpose behind what was Jesus was saying? He says, you find a relationship with me, you'll never find wanting. How many of you have been in a relationship that actually is not fulfilled as in our entirety? Let me tell you this right now, and Rachel, oh, she's in. I have to be careful how I, I do this right now. Your married life will never fulfill you to your eternal potential. It will get you close. Because we are designed to live in a relationship with the living God. If you're looking at your partner thinking you are all I need you to be in life and that is it, you're going to head for disappointment. Your partner is going to fail you. 
I say that as a husband. I've failed many times, albeit not morally, in the concept of that. You know, I'm not, not as good as I could be. You understand our relationships, as good as they are, can be imperfect. Our relationship with God is designed to be a pure one and will take us right through into eternity. You understand what I'm saying, not what I'm not saying? Because that's what Jesus was saying when he sat. He had this conversation with this woman. The, the beggar who's there, you know, Jesus comes in and everybody else walks by. But Jesus says, hey, I just want to have a coffee with you. Can we sit? Can we talk about where you are in life? Here's the thing about Jesus. Because I know what your future is. Funny, isn't it? When we relate to people, we see we're in their present. Often we judge in their past. Have you seen the, the headlines that Kanye West has become a Christian? There's an interesting debate. You know, he's a, he's a, if you know Kanye West, who is that? He's a really good music, secular music star. just found faith. What's interesting for me is all sort of Christianity have come out talking, going, well, we haven't seen the fruit of that yet, have we? You know, it's like that northern judgment response. Just weird to see, you know. And he's brought this album out called Jesus is King. Is that right? And, and, and I heard commentary on the radio going, you know, he's a man who uses profanity in his secular music. Is this going to change his language and his lyrics? You know, people go, oh, we'll have to wait and see because Saturday morning it's going to come out. And what comes out? There's no profanity in that album. So maybe, two things I kind of thought, maybe transformation, maybe the gospel actually works even for a celebrity. Did you know there's no limit to our social status where the gospel reaches? Just the first of all, what we understand. Maybe Christians have stopped believing what the gospel is. Because when you say, where's the fruit? You're saying he's not as good as me. I've been on this road for 42 years. I've got more fruit than Kanye West has, and he's got all his minutes. But here's the thing. There should be something up something. Maybe God is getting into the music world. Maybe God's creating the conversation. Maybe Jesus is sitting by the well. He's picking up the mug of tea. He's picking up the modern music, and maybe he's speaking into that. We'll see Stormzy's lyrics, if you don't know who Stormzy is. You know, blinded by your grace. He's singing out, and Glastonbury is the number one artist singing that song, which is, which is the gospel. He's still on his journey. We know that. But somehow God's getting into the conversation. But because they're, they're life-giving conversations. I want us to talk about a conversation in the Bible. And if you can turn with me to John chapter 3. And it's with a, a chap called Nicodemus. The whole reason I read this because, you know, the, this is a the theory. If God could get into a conversation with a chap like Nicodemus who's got it so wrong, maybe he wants to get into conversation with you and have a cup of tea with you. There was a man named Nicodemus, John chapter 3, verse 1. He was a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. Just kind of, if you don't know your Bible that well, Jesus has a go at the religious leaders lots, by the way, because they've got it so wrong. I'm not saying that Nicodemus has got it so wrong, but he really tries to challenge because they're teaching about God. And Jesus is kind of resetting the framework of the conversation, saying God is not like this. God is this. And has this conversation, right? After dark, one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he says, we all know that God has sent you to teach us your miraculous signs or evidence that God is with you. It's a spiritual conversation that the rabbi says, I see something of God in you, in the way that you say it, in the way that you demonstrate the kingdom of which you approve. There's a real deal. There's an authenticity about you. Can I have some time? Because I have a question. Jesus replied and said, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom 
of God. I want to tell you when Jesus speaks, he doesn't always speak in ways that you'll understand straight away. That's not because he's trying to be confusing. He's trying to create seekers. He's trying to create questions within you so that you go, what does that mean? Nicodemus says, what do you mean? How can an old man, he was talking about himself, go back into his mother's womb and be born again? So he's talking literally. You say, I need to be born again. How can I reverse the aging process of life and be born again? But Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Holy Spirit. How is this possible? I just love that conversation because I want to put it into the, the tentative finish of to give you more questions going on. How is it possible? Jesus said there's two births. You're physically born. Put your hand up if you've not been physically born today. How do you know that? You can't remember that day. Well, you know that, number one, because you are here. Because that is the biological process of life. You wouldn't be here if you were not born. It's just a logical step process. And number two, you are here because you are told about it by your parents. We don't take pictures of the actual birth because that most of us puts of our dinner, you know. But, you know, by the time we've kind of had a bath and a shower or clothes are put on us and we're all looking pretty and things like that, then the pictures come out. But there's, there's evidence of that birth. There's a similar, I wanted to know what Jesus said. Actually, it's not about a physical birth, Nicodemus. It's about a spiritual birth. So who did biology in school? had to find a graphic to explain this because you all, all know this, but I wanted to do it in one that doesn't put you off your lunch uh, to do that. Though. This is the moment of fertilization, uh, by the way, in the biology classroom. Just to let you know, we should have a nice little image that's coming up there. Right, no, there we go. You know, it takes male and female to create. You are here because of a male and female. Biologically, that happened. You can't take two females and merge their DNA together and get a child. It cannot be done. God has locked that into our code. It takes a male and female to produce a child, you know. What's fascinating here, you can't quite see the letter and things like that, but when a female produces an egg and a male produces a sperm, they've got 23 chromosomes, which is half the amount of what you normally have. Right? It's incredible math because when they join finally in the act of fertilization, the sperm and the egg combine, only one sperm gets in. There's not multiple competitions going on, it's going there, but only one gets in. The moment that happens, every other sperm that's competing for that place gets locked out, and those 223 chromosomes become 46 chromosomes, which is what is required to create a human being called an embryo. And you become a brand new, you will become a brand new combination of your mum and your dad, biologically. You are half of each one. You have half your mum's genes, and you have half of your dad's genes, whether you like your dad or not. Those 46 chromosomes replicate and replicate and replicate, and that was you. 
So when we talk about Jesus creating us in that whole plan, I need you to understand Genesis 2 verse 7. God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living creature. Became alive inside the dust of the earth and the breath of God. And that is our created being. So we have this understanding. Who did um, chemistry? In, do you remember these? Put your hand up if you remember kind of playing with molecular structure. I asked the, the youngsters whether they did that now. It's all graphics uh, now. But you know, this is actually a real molecule. But for those who did some chemistry, you try to work out what it is. I've just played with it just to illustrate something later on. But just simplest, um, they're atoms. And there's relationships between atoms. Which often we think we have a body. We have a, a mind. You know, and we have a soul, which we refer to our emotions. That's our understanding of that. It's wrong, by the way, you know, because we have a body, soul, and spirit. That's what we created in God. God breathed our souls and become a living being. But by the way, that's not who we are. This is who we are. Body, soul, and spirit, and God. Connected into this. I love this 3D shape, by the way, which doesn't matter what end you put it up. There's something of God in that. Here's our shape without God. It's really hard to build of this. Very easy to build with this shape because it fits together. God's kind of trying to build with something. So Nicodemus is saying, how can I be born again? Humans can only produce human life, by the way. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, can produce spiritual life in us. 1 Peter 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ God wants to create spiritual life inside of us. The wages of sin is death. Sin cuts us off from our relationship, but God brings life into us. Being a Christian is about understanding that you have the life of God living inside of you, and a new organism is formed between you and God. It's a new partnership. It's a new relationship. When they fuse together, it becomes unique. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. When you know Jesus, bang, you are different. There's spiritual life inside of you. You can look at any situation through the eyes of God and go, this is different. Your perception changes. Your decisions change. Your attitude changes. Your lifestyle changes. You know, we've got people in this room who would come into church, you know, smoking and suddenly they find Jesus and then Jesus goes, is that good for you? And you kind of face this tension and you go, no, despite its hold on us, God has got this ability to say, I, I think you should start looking at alternatives to get your relief. It's the same with alcohol. It's the same with prescribed drugs. It's the same with illegal drugs. It's the same with relationships. You know what we're trying to do? We're trying to fill the gap in our life because we don't feel complete in our own strength. But when God comes into our life, suddenly everything changes and man became a living being. Nicodemus, you could be a professionally qualified religious lawyer, but you still want more unless you're born again. Of the Spirit of God. 1 Peter 1 verse 23 says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable for the living and abiding Word of God. Let me tell you what is going on in the conversation with Jesus and Nicodemus. 
He is taking the word of God and he is presenting it to the human soul. The sperma, that is the word in 1 Peter, of the word of God. He's declaring, the woman at the well, the same thing. He's taking the word of God and he's positioning it into the soul of that woman, into the soul of Nicodemus. And then he's saying, do you want to choose to fuse the two together? That fusion can never take place without your permission. It doesn't matter how long I preach. It doesn't matter how many times you come to church. Unless you believe in the divine word of God revealed in the name of Jesus and you fuse that with your soul, you will not know what it's like to be spiritually born again to a new life because it takes faith. Romans 10 verse 8 says, God's living message is close to you. As close as your own heart beating in your chest and as near as the tongue in your mouth. Really close inside of you. And what is God's living message? It is the revelation of the faith of salvation, which is the message that we preach. For if you publicly declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will experience salvation. The heart that believes in him receives the gift of righteousness of God and the mouth gives thanks to salvation. That's the moment when we become born again. It's a moment when you believe the word of God. It could have happened in a room like this. It could have happened in McDonald's. The location is not specific. It's what your faith is saying in your heart. You take the word of God, you fuse it with your soul and boom! You don't get one of these moments. What's for lunch? You get eternal security. You get that confidence. John, 84, just been promoted to glory last night. I saw him at 7 o'clock and at 10 past 11. He's on his way to heaven. Okay? It's painful in the separation for the family and the tears. But the belief, we have a sure and certain hope that he lives in God. How does he know that? How do we know that? Because we've been born again. The Holy Spirit, says in the Bible, is a guarantee of our eternal salvation. So we shouldn't take lightly our salvation. It's an incredible dynamic. And what Jesus does in these conversations, he goes around looking for people, saying, can I have a conversation? He takes the word of God, and in that conversation, it gets deposited So in the concept of talking about following Jesus for Riverside, we want to create an environment by which these conversations, by which the word of God gets deposited, not into our life just today, but you take that word and you learn a confidence going, how I can deposit this word into somebody I'm sat with at the table in the office. Creating a conversation that brings life. See, the rugby is good. We watched the rugby yesterday. We have to be careful because Alan's from and Anna from New Zealand, but he was born in Britain, so he's a win-win today. I made sure we was going to be okay last week, because I said to Alan, where's it going to fall? Because we weren't sure whether England were going to beat New Zealand, or whether New Zealand were going to beat England again, as they have done for the last 20 years, as I've always known it. You know, England did win, if you don't know. I'm sorry if you've recorded it. A spoiler alert, I do apologize, but you should have caught up by now if you're a real fan, isn't it? Wales' fate is yet to be decided. should be happening right now. Don't tell me, because I've, um, I've watched it. It's on record. Just, just to let you know, all right. I don't even know what my point was. 
rugby, life-giving conversations. Anyway, let's just leave that there. Obviously, it wasn't important. So let us learn, if we're going to form concepts and relationships, that they should be about this Spirit of God, life-giving conversations. So that's that have changed us and will change others. And you'll see where this connects. Because the second thing that Jesus did, he connected a community of believers. And so those who said yes to Jesus, those who were spiritually born again, he actually organized into a community of believers by which they actually started to grow. Because I feel that churches become more isolative. As much as we meet here on a Sunday, we leave our faith to go away and just do it on our own. And actually, I think Jesus understands what Beth was referring to. Actually, if we take it away, that actually we become more vulnerable, we become more isolated. That when you connect with another Christian, there's this synergy. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am, right in the midst of them. You know, the concept of, of, of this kind of thing that starts to form, things shape in our life and we start to become connected together. The great parts of all these are about the relationships. You are, you're never saved to just be a, a, an atom on your own. This whole universe is formed of atoms who connect in relationships to molecules which forms what we stand on right now. God created that system. But he creates a community in a similar system. And so you'll see from the New Testament, Jesus had thousands of followers. He had dozens of disciples, 72. He picked 12 to train more deeply and to send out. And he had three that were with him even more often. So I want to talk us through the 3, 12, 72 principle of what Jesus was trying to achieve. Because um, in the corporate world, by the way... um, I don't know, I know this will put you in front of the screen, but just look at the TV just for the moment. You'll get this concept. I don't know how long, but we always have these organograms. When you join a company or you've been part of it, you always get the kind of the CEO or the headmaster or the manager or the teacher. You know. And basically, we understand we've had this drawing kind of described for quite a while, isn't it? You know, We all know this one. Basically, that's not you. We, we get that. It just depends. You know, it depends where you are in the organisation. But there's layers, you know, and you'll 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 understand that. And, and you know, you get this feeling, and the way it's taught, it's all about power and control, isn't it? You know, this person can decide your destiny. You know, and and have you you ever had that phrase? Do you know who I am? It's a reminder of the triangle. You know, it's basically I've got the power to hire or fire. You know, things like that. It's the Alan Sugar style of leading. He'd love a bit of TV program on the finger, isn't it? You know, it's all about power and control. You're not doing what I want, so you're out. You please me, you're in. This is not Jesus' way, although you could study quite a few denominations who actually structure their church on this. So let's not go into that now, but you can find them in your own time if you want. And then we had in churches the clever model, because suddenly people look at the sea legends and go, hmm, this, this is actually a bit of a human power-based structure. So uh, let's take the Jesus model, and they did this. And they called it the funnel. Bit grandiose, so this is the in church. I'm the leader, and then everything kind of, I will support everything up like this, you know. And if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you do have to be a servant of all, you know, and things like that. And then I have people who, who do that. Uh, uh, number one, by the way, this is incredibly, um, as a structure, you would never architecture. There's not many buildings that you build like this just in case you haven't noticed. There's not too many triangles on that kind of thing. Uh, and how many know all the trouble just gets kind of put in there, you know, and it suddenly starts to flow down, and one man cannot cope. One person, one woman cannot cope with that strength of any organization. Sounds good. 
makes me look good as a great servant, you know. But I just think it's just like the same thing, but it's a different thing. Jesus didn't build that. Jesus built this. I've always seen this for years, by the way. Um, these, well, well, it's all on graphics now, so the youngsters don't have this on image. They never actually play with these models. It's me, I took two days this week of your hard-earned investment into the church just playing with these models. <coughs> I, I didn't, by the way. I nearly could. <laughs> to get slightly too aimed. You understand? Jesus formed the matrix of relationships. He had the three. And then he had the twelve. And then he had the 72. I love the dynamics of the 72. And I was, I was trying to work out whether the disciples of the 12 were split down into the 72. And my math got too ahead of me. So I won't even go into that because it, it is funny. But, uh, you know, as to how Jesus did that. But I just want you to understand there's different relationships that Jesus deliberately made. You know, in, in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, one day soon after Jesus went up on the mountain to pray, he prayed to God all night. And at daybreak, he called together all of the disciples and he chose 12 of them to be the apostles. He actually spent time in God and said, how do you want me to shape this? I think it's really good if you're a team manager and you've got the responsibility of leading and building team that actually you wouldn't be too harmed if you actually just went time to pray and say, God, how can I shape my team? You know what you do that, actually? You're acknowledging that Jesus is the center of your life. I don't know, because in our flesh, we actually center ourselves to that yellow point. And that's a danger because we don't have the strength or the fortitude or the knowledge, but Jesus does. So we should build our life in this matrix for 2,000 years has just been building and building and it's massive and it's huge and it's incredible. But Jesus called the 12 men to drop everything to come and follow him. They had a unique leadership connection with Jesus and he commissioned them for ministry. The 12 men were in it for what Joshua shared last week about the place where Jesus called those disciples from. That he wanted passionate men who would give their lives to start this thing on. Because, by the way, because the closer you are when you're pioneering, you need people to believe in that. I remember starting off street pastors. And actually, first of all, I was looking for somebody else to start it off because I, I kind of thought, surely it's somebody else. And then started to look for that instant core and say, who were the core? It's really hard to find core because they're the 12. Jesus did in that. And the three disciples, they had an even closer relationship with Jesus. He took them up to the Mount of Transfiguration. They met Elijah and Moses. I would love that. I don't know how important they felt after that. I don't know. I don't even know what Jesus chose us. I don't know whether they were that was the kind of thing. Peter was there, so probably. You know, things like that. And you know he was because he got it so wrong because when he had that great thing on the mountain, you know what Peter's idea was? Can we build a shed on top of the mountain? And then everybody can come to this shed. It's now called Jerusalem. You know, if you look at the churches and things like that, there's holy sites in there and we just build things around them because that's where God meets. And God says, I can't be contained by structures. I'm far bigger than that. But Peter was in the structure mode. He was in, let's control this. I'm sat here, so let's build it. And Jesus said, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm not building a triangle. I'm building a matrix. This goes way beyond your life. This was just expanding the network. The Garden of Gethsemane, by the way. Pick the three. On the eve of his crucifixion. Have you ever found that in your toughest moments of life, that people thought you were close or not in those moments? Even for Jesus. The three were there, but he just drifts away and, and they sleep. 
Jesus wanted to pray, but he was left abandoned because sometimes we're called to go it alone because there's a new call that God is asking us to do. I get that, but Jesus sets the system of the three. They were in that close, intimate place. The 72, we know that Jesus had disciples who were with him regularly. They heard his teachings. He later sends them out to do some really cool stuff. That he follows them out into the ministry, puts them into two, 36 pairs of two. That's where my mask got into how many 12, and we linked with the 36. Sends them out, carry the message. What I've taught you, I want you to go out and send. And then there's the crowds. You know, and Joshua talked about the crowds, those people who are following us, and the difference between a crowd and a disciple. And there's some really vast things. Thousands followed Jesus because he's doing great stuff. The miracle man's in town. Let's just come around, go. Let's eat our Walker's crisps. You know, let's have our sandwich. You know, isn't it good, isn't it? You know, follow me. Yeah, maybe not. You won't understand the kingdom unless you follow Jesus. You won't want to get, you won't understand what it is to be born again, to have your sins forgiven unless you take that act of faith and live for him. You enter the community and we enter at different levels. The crowd, we need crowds in our life. We need to be part of the big crowd. Hillsong's conference, you could go to London and sit with thousands and worship God and go, woohoo, this is great, isn't it? You know what, it's not enough for you. Only covers a weekend. We can go and we can go into Wembley and we have and we can sit in that prayer of the whole nation praying for the nation and that is great but it doesn't sustain our spiritual. If you're chasing meetings, if you're chasing podcasts, if you're chasing the latest house of worship, it's good. It's not going to fulfill your every need on that because that's the, the area, the thousands because actually God wants to know you as an individual. We do that deliberately to keep God at bay because actually we can hide in the crowd. We don't have to tell anybody the challenge that we've had. Nobody knows what the speaker said that hits home. And you just sit there and you go, oh, that's really tough. You know, but you know, nobody knows. You just... Have you noticed when we start to share what God is saying, it's a challenge. We feel bound to do something about it. Which is why where I'm going, we should be sharing what God is saying because it bounds us to action. I'm not just trying to get you a thought. I'm trying to get you into the word of God. So I'm going to live this out. You know, the large, the group of 72, this is kind of this type of space, church as a service. When we all get together and the band get up and we rise to that. You know, if you all came to the prayer meeting and we all stood together and started to pray, I have a belief that this city would not be the same again. Because something happens when the large group of God's people suddenly are found in unity and worshipping and learning together. There's something we can do that's really great. It's not the thousands, but this, this type of area. If you boil it down into the small group, the 12, where we, these are people I do life with. These are people when I go for a hospital appointment can just ring me up on that day. How did it go? I'll pick you up. I'll take you there. I'll sit and wait outside. Whatever they, they said, I'm going to pray with you through that journey. We, we need that, 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 that connect group, that small group of that oikos of people in our life who just move in. Because we can't do it alone. And there's even a group smaller than that with the three. Real spiritual friends. We have friends who are spiritual who go to church. We don't have spiritual friends. You know, there is a difference. I told you when me and Rachel were in the intensive care and the, the chaplaincy team came to see us, and they do a great job, by the way. It was just fascinating. I just learned that actually 
of the three chaplains that came to see us in a period, none of them said, could I pray with you? I just learned something myself to, to actually, it was a challenge to me. It wasn't much about a judgment of them, it was a challenge to me. Do I go into a room and say, before I go, can I just sit and pray? Because you know what? When spiritual believers connect together, things start to happen. I want to be a leader that does that, first and foremost. I want to be a leader that, that is really comfortable saying, can we just take the word of God and see what the word of God says about this? And I want a church that prays and shares the Bible over our coffees. I, I don't think it's unrealistic. I think it's life-changing. I think it's better than the large crowd. Jesus on the road to Emmaus, walking through disciples who post-resurrection, they're in post-resurrection depression. And Jesus spent some time. What does he do? I open in the scriptures. Open, the scriptures open your eyes. The word of God brings life to you always. And then he disappears. And then didn't our heart burn? Just think for a moment. You go out for a coffee with the person sat next to you. You talk about some of the things of God. You're driving home, you're walking home, you're cycling home. Your heart is burning with, wow. It's far bigger than the fuzzy feeling you get when you've had a beer. It warms your body up slightly. You like the glass of wine because it gives you that comfort thing. It's a physical thing. You like a good meal. If it's not too big, you can sit down. It's great. There's something bigger when you surround yourself on the Word of God. Because it doesn't feed just the body or just the soul or the spirit. The word of God feeds all. It realigns exactly who we are in God. So here's your question for, for you. Who are you three? Right? If, you, if you're struggling with the answer straight away, you haven't got them. That's just all right. So go and find them. Who's your twelve? If you don't know the answer, it's probably because you're not in the connect group. We have connect groups that operate. Who's your network of dozens? That wider concept. If you're part of this church, it's it. If you're not part of this church and you're looking for a network of people who encourage your faith, join us. I can tell you really quickly, you'd be welcome to join us. Not because I'm building a denomination, but because I'm building a family, a community of Christ followers. I just want you to experience God and to follow Jesus. I know when you join us, you can do that. But I need you to get involved in that. I, I love what Joshua uh, spoke last week when he did those seven things of what it is to be a great disciple of others. Because here, this is what we're growing. This is where we're going as a church. To develop people who are role models. I'm looking at you and I, I want to look at you and go, I want you to role model any new person in this way, any person that you bring in to say a great example of what it is to be a great follower of Jesus, somebody who's authentic, to be real, somebody who speaks the truth. I want us to be not a, a hairdresser church who just, sorry, Amber, says, just says nice things and go, ah, oh, that's lovely. To say, actually, that's not lovely about your life. Can I, can I not just talk about today? Can I just talk about where that's going to take you in three years if you don't check that today? I want to be a good enough friend because I love you more than the damage that's going to happen in three years if you go on that road. I think that's good spiritual direction, friendship. We've got to be available. We're going to pick and grow people. And they text us and say, I am just about to fall and make a decision that's not good and I'm struggling right now. We don't go, oh, okay, lovely. We just stop 
we get in the car, we pick up the phone, whatever we need to do, we move into that space. I want disciples in this church to understand the cost of what it is because it's costly to invest into others. It's costly to have other people invest in you, by the way. We're not even starting to talk about the trust barrier yet. It takes a while to grow community and service those values of church. This is what I want to say because we're laying out, and this series is all about laying a foundation for 2020. Because this is a vision. I want us to be a church that carries conversations that create life. I want us to be a church that is a community that carries spiritual life. I believe we can do this for a discipleship framework. In a few weeks, you'll be given the option of having the decision of whether you want to be discipled and we will look to, to connect with people in who will grow you. But to do that, I need to have people who will grow others. It's just that simple. And I was so encouraged by your conversation. Forgive me for eavesdropping down the stairs. It's a public building, but you were talking to Josh afterwards and said how much you enjoyed the message. And I, I just really loved, Anne was saying, there's a lady in my life who was so significant as a spiritual mentor for me that brought me to where I am. And this is what touched me the most, Anne. Forgive me for being so public. You said, I want to do that for others. Right, that is the spirit of the church. Spirit culture is when we have a collective belief of this is what we're about. So when you get the card, I can see it's like a red card, blue card, one side. Number one, we need to understand all of us need discipling. We need to be discipled and grow. We've not arrived yet, by the way. It's not an age thing. It's we need to say, yeah, I want to grow in God because that's what discipleship is. And number two, we need to take that and go, I want to grow others. The young adults, by the way, have already got this matrix all started to form out. We've run this beta program that's been going on just to try and work out and connect people in so we can do this. We just want to launch it 2020 so the whole church goes, I am growing in God. Is that okay? There will be a cost to it. It's not a financial one. Because you have to commit to a relationship. There is a requirement to role model. Be authentic. Forge communities to be a servant. I think if we do this, we can be close to what Jesus intended. You learn this wherever you go in the world, and I think people will be going out as missionaries from this place. I've always believed that. That you can be this and go, right, I'm going to set up this discipleship framework because it's not about Riverside here. It's about following Jesus. Take this model into any country, any culture, and start to grow disciples who grow other disciples. Can we stand? Can we pray? I'm going to ask the band to come up. There's no response today other than to think about what I've said. Because when I put the cards out, I'm going to ask you to think about it. Close your eyes. Father, giving us a desire to grow right now, spiritually. That we first and foremost might have a desire to create life-giving conversations. home, on the streets where we live, with our neighbours, in our workplace, in our social spaces. Allow us just to have that desire to almost create an experience with God for people as we share our stories. But also allow us that strength to connect them into the context of community. We want to be a life-giving community of Christ followers.
before you leave today, I'm going to ask the stewards to give you one card. And all it says is looking to get connected. And it's just a connection to the church. But I want you to try and get a conversation this week going of somebody who might be connected to this life-giving thing. It doesn't matter who. And I've left a space on this card for you to be the contact person to take them on the next day for their journey. That might mean picking them up to bring them to church. It might mean going for coffee with them. It might mean giving your mobile out or an email saying, I'll pray for you. You just need to kind of contact. Whatever you want to be in charge of that. This is not a case of where you go, great, I'm just going to give you my pastor's number. I want you to be the contact to bring them to their next station. Create a life-giving conversation. I'm going to give you one card. Put it in your wallet. And this week, go hunting for that one person. Don't look weird. So I'm just going to look. Is that right? And then when you find the person, pull out your wallet. Just say, look, here's a card. I'm going to write my details down. I want to help you in the journey that God has got for life. Have a great week. God bless.